I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this month's Patreon preview. And I am a little bit late with my Patreon preview this month. You'd have to forgive me. I just forgot. I forgot. That's that's the excuse. If you're curious about Patreon and you want to hear what is available if you sign up, then please stick around for this mini episode. I mention Patreon on every episode, so at the beginning of each month, I am going to give you a little preview of what is available on patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. So you can sign up to Patreon for either $2 or $5 a month to get all of the main and mini episodes of real life ghost stories completely ad free. There are also extra film reviews, giveaways, bonus Q&As and much more. Remember, Patreon is entirely flexible and you can delete your pledge instantly at any time. For $2 a month, you get access to over 50 episodes of bonus content. And for $5 a month, you get access to over 200 extra episodes. Every Monday, I release an episode of Tiny Tales. Sometimes it's a collection of spooky stories. Sometimes it is a special guest episode where a knowledgeable person comes on and tells their own paranormal tales. For today's preview, you will be hearing a snippet of one of those Tiny Tales episodes. I hope you enjoy it. And if you wish to sign up to Patreon, you can sign up now at patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. At one time, Hall Branch Plantation, not far from the small town of Amelia, Virginia, spread over more than 15,000 acres. And the manor house, with its tall chimneys, dry moat and numerous outbuildings, was one of the gems of the antebellum architecture. As the years went by, the estate was reduced, the house fell into disrepair and the gardens and rolling lawns became overgrown. Then, in 1964... Carey McConaughey and his wife Gibson bought the property. Mrs McConaughey's grandmother had lived in the house many years before and Gibson had visited the place when she was a child. But for 50 years, no member of her family had occupied it. By August 13th, 1965, the house had been restored to the point where the McConaughey's could move in. After four years of hard work, the place had regained its old style And in 1969, an elderly cousin gave Gibson a present, a large portrait of a distant and long-dead relative named Florence Wright. All Gibson's cousin could tell her was that the portrait had been done at a summer home belonging to the Wrights in Duxbury, Massachusetts, and that Florence had died suddenly just before it was finished, when she was still a young woman. He added that the portrait was in pastels and was beautifully coloured. When the McConaughey's had uncrated the portrait and cleaned the glass, they were astonished to see that the work was in charcoal. Instead of the glowing pastels they expected, they saw a composition of blacks, greys and dirty whites. Despite their disappointment, however, they hung the portrait over the library fireplace. A few days later, when Mrs McConaughey was in the basement, she heard women's voices coming from the library and, supposing that some friends had arrived unannounced, 
She called out, I'm coming right up, and went upstairs. She continued to hear the voices until she was just outside the library door, at which point they stopped. The room was empty. She looked through the rest of the house but could find no one. A few months later, in February 1970, Carrie McConaughey was sitting in the library reading a newspaper when he happened to look up at the picture of Florence Wright. If his eyes were not deceiving him, part of the painting of a rose standing in a vase on a table near the young woman was no longer a muddy grey. It was slowly turning pink. He got up to study it more closely. Not only was the rose gaining colour, but Florence's formerly charcoal black hair was lightening. Her grey skin was taking on the hue of living flesh. And colour was creeping into almost every grey and black tone in the picture. In the days following, the colours grew more vivid. From time to time, women's voices were heard in the library, but no one was ever seen there. In a few months, the portrait was fully transformed, revealing Florence Wright as a blue-eyed, red-haired girl sitting in an upholstered green chair. The vase in the painting turned a pale jade green and the rose in it a soft pink. Once the portrait's transformation was complete, the McConaughey's no longer heard the sound of women's voices in the library. According to a local clairvoyant, who had heard of the portrait and examined it, Florence's spirit was locked in the picture because she died before it was finished, but she had the power to drain it of all colour if she did not like the place where it hung. To restore the colour, she had enlisted the help of two other spirits and theirs were the voices heard. If the spirit of Florence Wright was content at Hall Branch, some other entity seems to have been far from happy there. Three months after they moved in on November the 23rd, 1965, the McConaughey's were awakened by a woman's scream. It seemed to come from one of the floors above them and they rushed upstairs to investigate. Their children were standing at the foot of the stairs to the attic and said that was where the scream had come from. The family's two dogs seemed terrified. Nobody investigated the attic until daylight and when they did, they found nothing wrong. Six months later, to the day, the McConaughey's again heard the blood-curdling scream and once again found no source for it. This happened twice more, again at six-month intervals on November the 23rd and May the 23rd. The screams were replaced by the apparition of a young woman. She was first seen by Gibson McConaughey in the summer of 1967. I could plainly see the silhouette of a slim girl in a floor-length dress with a full skirt. It was not the wide fullness of a hoop skirt, but one from an earlier period. I could see no features, but she was not transparent, just a white silhouette. I saw her for perhaps ten seconds. In the next instant, she was gone. There was no gradual fading away. She simply disappeared from one instant to the next. Several nights later, one of the McConaughey's daughters was kept awake by the barking of the family dog on the porch and so she let it in. The animal instantly ran past her towards the living room. When I looked into the drawing room, the girl said, Blackie was sitting there wagging her tail and looking up at a lady in white who was standing in front of the fireplace. Before I could say anything, the lady disappeared right in front of her eyes. When the McConaughey's discussed the lady in white with other members of the family, they discovered that she was no newcomer to Hall Branch. Harriet Mason, their great-grandmother, had spoken of seeing her, 
and told how the apparition had once touched her, awakening her from a deep sleep. When November the 23rd came again, the McConaughey's prepared for the anticipated screams, sitting up from midnight to dawn with flashlights and a tape recorder. They heard nothing. On May the 23rd, 1968, they again sat up all night. This time they heard heavy footsteps crossing the yard and Mr and Mrs McConaughey went quietly out onto the porch to look around. There was nothing to see, but they heard heavy running footsteps and then, a few seconds later, a call from behind the barn. The next morning, Mrs McConaughey said, our son and daughter reported that they saw a giant bird standing in the yard in the moonlight under their windows. It was standing there with its wings spread out, appearing to have a wingspan of over six feet. The bird itself was never seen again, but the unearthly screech was heard on the 23rd of May and November several times more. The woman's scream was never heard again, nor was she seen. But other curious things occurred in and around the old house. Sometimes, for example, the scent of roses or oranges would pervade the rooms, though there was no roses or oranges anywhere in the house. There were also inexplicable noises, sometimes the heavy thud of something falling into the moat and the sound of cowbells circling the house at night. No source was ever discovered for these sounds. Another time, what seemed to be a man with a kerosene lantern came out of the barn and approached the house. As he went by the porch, the McConaughey saw the light bobbing and swaying in the air but no one carrying it. No ancient, sinister or tragic source has so far been discovered for the whole branch hauntings. So much going on in this story. First of all, I just want to say that if you've got a plantation home that is that ginormous, that has been around for generations and generations and generations, it is very likely that some awful things happened there. And I think it's very naive to say no ancient, sinister or tragic source has so far been discovered for the hauntings. I think it is likely that there are probably lots of terrible things that could account for this apparent haunting. One of the things that really winds me up when you ever talk about like the Banshee legends or like stories like this one where there's a screaming woman in the middle of the night, there is always people who are like, "Mm, it's probably foxes. Yes, foxes are terrifying when they are, when a vixen's in heat and she's screaming in the middle of the night. Oh, if you've never heard it, honestly, YouTube it, it is terrifying. It's a terrifying sound. But I'm pretty sure foxes don't wait until the 23rd of May and the 23rd of November to be screeching in the middle of the night. They're not sitting there looking at their little watches going, oh, shit, guys, it's uh, it's 22nd of November. Imagine I nearly missed it. That's wild. Okay, yeah, got to get ready to screech and terrify this family. So if this screaming sound happened on the 23rd of November and the 23rd of May... Why did it not happen consistently every 23rd of November and every 23rd of May? Was it every five years? Was it every three years? Was it every six years, you know? And how how long was it before the family realised, oh shit, this has happened on the 23rd of November and the 23rd of May every year? Because there's no way I'd be making a note of the date that it happened. Absolutely not. And let's talk about the painting. Basically coming to life. I know paintings fade in sunlight over time and... The colours of paintings can fade and you'll see paintings and be like, wow, that's quite dull. And then, you know, whatever amount of years ago, actually, it was really vibrant and beautiful and colourful. But how did it work the other way? How did it reverse and become really colourful and go from being dark and 
black and all of those things and then become really colourful. I, I don't I don't understand how that would happen. I don't think I've ever heard of that in relation to a painting before. And I've covered haunted paintings. But I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. A painting gathering colour and, and sort of coming to life in that really vibrant way over a period of time, accompanied by the sound of voices. I sort of think as well that the big bird that the kids saw is probably an irrelevant part of the story if I'm if I'm being really cynical I think that we all struggle with judging scale and sometimes you see an animal and you're like Jesus that's the biggest animal I've ever seen but it's just distance and perspective and uh, yeah we know there's some pretty big birds out there when I was in San Diego I went to the San Diego Zoo and I, I'm not that big on zoos I, I don't particularly enjoy the um, idea of animals being held captive particularly not the eagles that they had there which made me feel a bit funny about them being captive. But they were enormous. I couldn't believe how big they were. They were like as tall as me when they were standing or just sort of standing around because they weren't flying anywhere. And uh, yeah, I just think birds are enormous and I don't think the big bird has anything to do with the actual haunting. What it does sound like though is that history is repeating itself in this house. There's like echoes of time even with the man with the kerosene lamp coming out of the barn, with the sounds of the screaming on those particular dates. It sounds like history is repeating itself more so than anything else. But I thought it was a really curious little story. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.